When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to iFanboys Talksplode with Rick Remender. Like a rock, like a planet, like a fucking Hey, this is Josh Flanagan from iFanboy.com, and this is the 107th edition of the Talksplode comic book creator interview podcast that I do. Uh, today we have Rick Remender. If you are a long-time fan or listener of iFanboy, you will probably be pretty familiar with him. In fact, this would be his seventh appearance uh, on the Talksplode program. And there's other He showed up on the video show. Don't miss podcasts. Lots of Rick. Uh, we are big fans of his work from way back. That started 15 years ago. And uh, I haven't had him on in a long time. Also, he told me he hasn't done an interview in about three years uh, like this. And I've never done an interview with him uh, one-on-one. So it was a great experience uh, to sort of reconnect with somebody who I haven't talked to in a long time, who uh, has made a definite impact in comics and making comics the way that he wants to. Let's get on with it. Hey, this is Josh Flanagan, and I am here with Rick Remender. Says you. I do. I do. I say it. I'm an authority. People, uh, people believe it when I say it, so, so you better too, Buster. Okay. We were, we were just talking about the fact that you were on, uh, you were on the 14th episode of this, this interview show we do, and then when you were on the 25th episode, and you were on the 34th episode, and the 43rd episode. Now, this will be 107, and I guess you, we, we took some time off from each other. Mm-hmm. And we're back well, look, now. You know, sounds like you guys really have made a lot of bad decisions with your lives, and oh. that, you know, <laughs> I can't, I, I can't be involved, and I haven't been around for all of them, and it's been a while, you know. Um, Honestly, uh, being being you know, at this age and and uh, still running a site called iFanboy, and you can make a joke about making bad decisions, but let's really look into it. Yeah, let's go. It's a, it's a whole. It's a whole thing that I struggle with. But it turns out this yeah. is uh, one of the best things I did in my life. So who knew? Oh, look at that. You turned it around, gave yourself yeah. a little pat on the back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, not for me. I just mean effects. Things like, you know, like like good stuff comes out of it. That's what I what found. What comes out? Of, what good stuff? Let's get into that. Know, good like stuff. all my, no, we, we can. But I, I, well, no, we I, should. We're doing it. You can't. We no. can. That's fine. You know what? Okay, fine. I'm taking this interview over. I've lost interest in your threats. No, no, we're not. We're not. We're not working it that way. But I will say, all the best people that I've met mm-hmm. uh, in my life, sort of the the best friends that I have, the people who've been around the longest, yeah, all came through this. I've gotten several jobs through this. When I was down yeah. and I needed help, people helped me. You know, get get 
uh, like my last job, somebody helped me get because they were a iFanboy listener for a long time. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, I, it, it's an interesting little community. And there are, I, yeah. I, I say that, um, I don't, I, I'd say about, you know, 5% of the people I'm, I meet in comic books, I'm immediately just shocked out of my mind at how much we have in common and we're friends for life. You know, you just go, yeah. You go through the movies and the music and the things and the likes and the and the flavors and the tastes and the personality and the jokes and you're just like, oh my god, (laughs) you're just like me. I love you. I love you. You know the thing I really like about comics. I really like comics professionals in that um, you know you you know this. I'm not going to say anything you don't know. But a lot of times, if you're working in comics for uh, a while, you don't necessarily need to be. So if you are working in comics. You're, you've decided, well, I really need to do this because I love something about this art form and I'm okay with getting paid less because I want to be in it. Yeah, there is and a, uh, we call it the sickness. Is, is that the, do you, do you, are you, so you are, you are thoroughly diagnosed with the sickness then? I'm down with the sickness. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the first time Disturbed has been brought up on the program. Oh, no, it's not. You guys, you guys talk about this sure. all the time. Well, that's, that's the um, thing. Yeah, kidding aside, I think that the, um, there's something, it's, I, I always say it's the purity of intention. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I've been doing comic books since 1997. And um, I have had many jobs and done many other things. And um, even, you know, in the last 10 years, as I've worked more in film and television, I still do the comic books. And at one point, you know, I went to quit. I'm done. And I said, I'm going to retire and I'm going to be done doing this. And uh, I took about three or four months off of doing any comics for the first time since 1997. I guess this was around the time I finished my last couple books, The Scumbag and Righteous Thirst for Vengeance. Mm-hmm. And um, I was depressed. And I thought that I would use that time. I'm like, I can go to the gym and hike more and surf. <laughs> and I can go ride my bike and I'll see my family more. And it's true. I did a lot of that stuff more. But I just, there was something really missing. And I realized the purity of intention of being able to create something with one or two other people where you all get your heads together and take all of these skills that you've, you've hopefully, you know, honed over the the past few decades and then to see thin air become a thing. And then to have this unique experience that we have in comics where there are retail and specialty shops, brick and mortar and online scattered throughout this country and others who exclusively sell your products to a very dedicated, though small group of people who will go a couple times a month to that shop and to take the product and to take the little pamphlet and to sit with it and to carefully ingest it and Mm -hmm. to carefully analyze it and read it and care about it and write letters to you and go online. Um, that's unlike any other thing in the world. And it's been something that's been going on since the 1930s. What else has gone on that long and not changed? So it's, it's very unique and we're very lucky to have it. And um, yeah, I mean, you can't quit so it. The sickness comes from that, I think. What was the, what was the point where you, you said you didn't want to do it anymore? Like what happened? 
Because yeah, I don't, I don't think I realized that. I would have thought when you said that, I would have thought like sort of near the end of uh, that that last uh, longer run of books as you're finishing up um, Black Science and, and and stuff like that. But like scumbag, well, I feel like that I, just I, that just stopped. I, I launch, you know. So I just uh, once you get into a book and you create it and you develop it and you move on it and you start writing it, the book will tell you how long it wants to be, and you know, so. Seven to Eternity needed 16 to 18 issues. Black Science needed 40 to 45. Deadly Class was going to need like, you know, 55, 60. Tokyo Ghost was in, a, in and out at 10, 11. You know, Scumbag needed 14, 15. They just kind of tell you when you're working on them. You get an idea of like, oh, okay, to see this through to the ending, I'm going to need this. And you get an idea of how to use that real estate. And so um, I guess it was... Uh, why I, why I thought I should retire. Um, I've got a lot of work in, in, you know, with in film and television doing cool stuff. And that's all really exciting and scratching those itches. And I was just like, I can't keep working this hard. Um, the long version of this is that the pandemic was like, my life was being played in front of me on a VHS tape on an old television and the pandemic was somebody sitting me down and hit pause on a screen. And they said, now stare at that and think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you just stare at that. And the effect was I had become a workaholic. Mm -hmm. I had lost control of my health. Um, I was not prioritizing the right things. You know, by by the end, right before the pandemic, I was show running Deadly Class. So I was living in Vancouver and flying all over and, and doing all of the editing bay stuff. And I was also writing five books. I was writing Tokyo Ghosts for Kerry Fukunaga at Legendary. I was developing Black Science as a TV show. We were working on Fear Agent with Seth Rogen. It was all dream shit, you know, mm -hmm. like it's all dream shit. But... I had heart palpitations. I was, you know, up and down with my weight. I wasn't, there was no, it was very frantic. Yeah. And the pandemic f forced, somebody put me in a chair and they, they hit pause on that life. And they go, now stare at it. And I was like, ah, what? I got to do what? And, you, you know, we all had versions of this, not to mm -hmm. try to find the gold lining in something that killed so many millions of people. But I think that we all individually kind of have our own. Oh, everybody had their own coming to terms with themselves during that. I mean, it's got to be good and bad that comes out of all of it. Yeah, all yeah, that's it. right. That's right. It always feels weird to look for the gold lining, you know, the silver lining in, in something that was so <laughs> I didn't horrible. I plans for a year and a half. I don't know how to not celebrate that. yeah. It yeah. was delightful. Well, there was a... Yeah. yeah. That part. That part. There was... Look. Not, not the uh, constant anxiety when you leave the house. Not no, that part. Still, you know, like we had... Ours went on for about two years and some change for various yeah. reasons with my wife's health. And it, it, it was quite an extended period. But the good thing coming out of it was that I really prioritized and reprioritized how to work and how to live. Um, but I thought the solution to it was that I'm going to wrap up these books... And I'm going to be done with comics and I'm just going to go off. And when I get a, you know, the next TV thing I'm working on gets, gets picked up, I'll just go do that. And I'll just, you know, work way less. And I do work way less now. I made rules. I don't work nights. I don't work weekends. Mm -hmm. um, 
the, and I'm making you do this at night. I hope this isn't work. No, it's okay. I, 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 I've been doing zooms and, and writer room stuff all day. So, um, the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm all talky. I have to, okay. I have to get in a talky mode, but no, it it's, but, but this is the, this is in all honesty, the latest it's, you know, seven fifteen here in California in Los Angeles. And it is the, this is the latest I've done anything in years. So that was good. And it made me set boundaries on that stuff. But it, it, I thought in pausing comics, I would find some kind of a release. Like I've done that. That was a thing. And I realized more kind of what you were saying that a lot of my community was built here, no matter, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot of beautiful people that have come into my life through film, television, animation, video games, and the other things I've worked in. But there is a real community here, and there oh, yeah. are a lot of like, um, you know, uh, fam- you know, you form a family with a lot of it. And I started to miss it, and having not gone to San Diego for five, six years, and all of these things felt like um, it's. It, I realized it was not. A, it was not being like released from a responsibility. It was more like I had quit the church, and uh, <laughs> I was like, eh, I like the church, and so uh, after three, four months of attempting to retire. I started uh, uh, redeveloping and working on things and taking out, you know, ideas. And um, instead, I spent the last two years and two and a half years, whatever, rebuilding uh, what will be the next ten years of my line of books. Um, mm-hmm. And I love it. I really love it. Was it that? I mean, you, if TV and film work becomes extremely consuming. There's all sorts of stuff going on. You never know when it's going to stop, what's going to come next or whatever. But I assume that comics takes up as much time with probably less tangible reward. I'll call it. So is that sort of a a thinking? You know, I I am, I'm incredibly bent. I mean, I, I, the, I, I do I do really well in comics financially and enough to pay the you know the people I work with make a lot of money and um, you know I share ownership on the properties and so they also can you know I try to teach them the business I think one thing that we're lacking in comics is so few people understand the business they still go around there signing these deals with you know these horrible companies that take so much of their ownership and and are just puppy mills for IP for Netflix and they're just you know it's fine to sell things as a TV show or a film if it started from a pure intention but you know a lot of these their intentions are pretty well written on their you know on their faces and then people are signing these terrible deals and they're getting you know screwed left and right um, I'm very fortunate in that I started this at a time where I could learn those things in the in the you know genteel days of the 90s you're your timing was real good in terms of building the kind of career you have. I mean, you know, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I broke a shitload of glass ceilings and kind yeah. of created this career that a lot of people now follow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you should have said that, but it's fine. I will. Um, <laughs> it's fine, Josh. And, and that might sound self-aggrandizing, but I've gotten to the point now where it's really not about ego. It's just about mm-hmm. 1997, the kind of vision that I had for the career and, you know, I remember when I met Robert Kirkman and Tony Moore in 99 and some other people, there was a lot of people who were having these kinds of visions, which were, you know, a vast array of genres being uh, purchased in the comic book industry and making all kinds of unique things. And for me, it was always, it always stemmed from, well, EC Comics did it in the 50s. And at that point, it hadn't been done again. Most everything was, you know, 
superhero or superhero adjacent stuff. And then there were a few outliers, you know, but not many. Mm -hmm. And um, the industry and the the growth that, that we created for it from, you know, 2000 to 2010, I think those years were really sort of the biggest years in, in creating what is now the face of the creator owned industry. Mm-hmm. Um, for those but, who were willing to, who, for those who were willing to put their lives on the line, like I did and live yeah. in extreme poverty and, and bet on, bet on themselves and push forward and, and work 15 hours a day, seven days a week and do it, you know, and there was a number of us, um, once once the dream was realized it was like you know in narcos when you know when <laughs> when when that guy felix got got all of the the various I've, I've seen it all i'm with you yeah when felix got all of the various cartel members and drug dealers together uh <laughs> and formed the federation because there was enough of us all kind of with the same vision we were able to create it and um I'm, you know, I'm very. I'm, I guess what I was dancing around earlier saying is that you know I'm very, I'm very grateful and I'm very lucky that the books sell and continue to sell. I still, I mean, I make more money on Fear Agent now than I did when we were making Fear Agent. Um, you know, that's the, a kind of sad, but also that's awesome. I mean, like that's one of those things. Like, oh, you totally deserve that, and Tony and you know Jerome deserve that, and yeah, that's awesome. I, I they. They do, and and we did when we worked really hard at a time when there wasn't any science fiction like that in the industry, you know. Um, and so, I, I think it's one of those things where, though, you know, had you started making comics ten years earlier, right? You come in, you know, with the boom. There's a bunch of sort of guys who did that. You know, the industry crashes. There's not really any kind of independent market. You know, you'd go on to do something else. Maybe you come back or whatever. But but sort of that arc of your career completely sort of when. I guess we're talking 2000, late 2010s, you know, eight, nine, ten. That's when there was that. I don't know if it's the second image boom, but it was that sort of period of like guys who who got known in mainstream comics came in and did all these really interesting books. Like you were, you know, that's that was you were the right age to be doing that and going through that. It's it. You did all the things, obviously, and you you know you earned it for I yourself. But I but. guess what I'm saying is, I really I. I, I, I I don't think it was a happenstance kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. I think it was because, you know, because we made that. I think we made that. We, uh, that was uh, um, my little generation of creator friends and people and colleagues. We, we created that. We all left Marvel because we knew it was time and we did it at the same time mm-hmm. because we didn't want to really be there in the first place. And mm-hmm. so um, I don't, it just, I don't think it was timing. I think, I don't think it was happenstance. I think it was, something in the beating heart of Gen X. Um, <laughs> I think it's a desire for independence. I think it's a desire for honesty and to create things from a place that is different than serving the, the IP masters, which has become sort of a cliche and a joke. Um, but to me, it still means something. Was there a point in there where you thought about quitting comics earlier? Sure. I still remember. <laughs> like, ser- I'm sure like every, every day is a little bit like, was there, a, like you just said, you know, however many in the last couple of years you were like, I'm, I'm walking away from this. Did you, I mean, did you all, like ever actually think that's it, I'm stopping and, and like mean it and then, you know, come I back think around? There's, in t- so in 97, I started making comics. I got really addicted to it. I quit my job as an animator to make comic books from 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002. And that must have been rough. 
It was it was just dead broke. in terms of market, just like it was rough. Nobody yeah. wanted the kinds of creator-owned books that we were doing. Um, no, it was it was terrible. And my family were like, "Why are you doing this?" I was living on like eighteen thousand dollars a year most mm-hmm. of those years, while I was working. No, no, no shit. You know, thirteen to fourteen to fifteen hours a day, and I would you know teach classes and pick up you know animation work and storyboard jobs on the side so that I could go off and make Blackheart Billy or Dolan Creature or whatever and, and ink the you know Avengers so I could draw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was it's that you like. I think that we started this off with a joke about the sickness, but that is a sickness. Like, well, what is well, that? You know. Well, what I wonder is if we're talking about that that period of time. You know, we are, you know, two thousand ish. You know, the industry's in shambles. So, yeah. and then and there weren't. There was the dream of maybe you can get a movie made of this or whatever, but that didn't really. No. That wasn't a thing until ten years later, and and streaming I mean, and social media, all that yeah. stuff. You know, it was it was way more. I was gonna say not way more of a crapshoot, but it almost like it wasn't even a thing you had many. Uh, that plan wasn't followed through by a lot of people at that point. Like, what there were you wasn't thinking? really a road mark. I mean, you have to remember that. that I mean, I'm trying to think. Mm-hmm. X Men and Spider Man just became you know successful in the theaters around that era. So. And then what other comic book IP was anywhere? Um, Right. So was the plan, I mean, like, it has to be a sickness where you thought these comics will eventually take off, which would have seemed like insanity at that point. I had a, I had a math equation. So when Captain Dingleberry came out, we sold uh, 12,000 copies and I self-published it. Right. Um, and I remember whatever money that made, I realized if I could get a couple, a couple, two comic books a month selling that, I wouldn't have to get into a car and sit in traffic and go to a place to work for somebody and have them tell me that I can't take vacations or insist I work weekends or any of the things that jobs do insist on, it turns out. Um, and that dream to me seemed tenable. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, it hadn't really been accomplished since those first image guys. And unless you were Mark Silvestri, you know, doing, um, what was it? The darkness was the darkness. big hit. Yeah. And, and there was very few. So I guess it was a dream. There wasn't a lot of indication that it could be successful until Steve Niles and 30 days of night got mm-hmm. purchased and Raimi came in and bought it. And famously the, the bidding war brought the purchase price up into the millions or, you know, I, Sorry, Steve, I don't remember. It was, it was a lot. Um, but that was the first time we were like, what? And you were like, that's a punk rock guy, too. I can do this. Well, I mean, you know, um, Steve just did the kind of horror books he's always done. And one of them, mm-hmm. you know, one of them hit. And then and then uh, The Walking Dead became, you know, a, a, a hit comic book. And um, there was indications by mm-hmm. 2003, you know, that like, oh, shit <laughs> you know like there are potentially success successes to have now you asked me if i had thought about quitting so that's around the time that i was quitting 2003 i had put six <laughs> years of my life i you know a good a good a good hunk of my life had been sort of given over to this thing from you know the age of whatever you know to, to my my, my mid 20s were now erased and i was like well that was a great experience i guess but it wasn't i made a shitload of books that nobody read or will ever care about and that was a total waste of time so i'm quitting and i was living in san francisco in a converted garage and and you know my circumstances were pretty fucking dire 
but I remember um, I had written the outlines and written some of the pitch stuff for um, Last Days of American Crime, Sea of Red, Fear Agent, Strange Girl, <sighs> Sorrow, Nightmare, and one other. And I at the end league. And I was, I was, you know, they were all just documents full of ideas and, and story structure and whatever. And I was walking uh, home and I thought, I got it. I can't, I got to give it one more try. I got to give it one more try. And that was 2003. And I said, if I could get a, I'll get a job at Electronic Arts. They were hiring. Um, they were looking for storyboard artists. I'll get a job there. I'll storyboard some stuff. I'll keep teaching. I'll teach night classes at the Academy uh, of Art. And then I will make comics in every other moment that I have. And I, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to try th twice as hard this time. And so 2003, 4, 5, I took every art job I could get. Um, drawing the Turtles, inking the Avengers, did a book with Bruce Campbell at Dark Horse, was teaching, was storyboarding. And then every other minute I was writing those books that I mentioned. And then... Um, you know, got them up and running and figured it out with no money. There was no advance money for any of these things. It was credit cards and handshakes and begging. And just, you know, if a book didn't get inked, I would ink it, you know, or, or just, you know, just do whatever it took to make the book. And, uh, yeah. So the double down worked and eventually a little bit of success came, but the, the quitting instinct at that point was like powerful and if, you know, uh, in the quantum world, there are, that was definitely a, a bridge to whatever okay. two versions of my story exist, one where I didn't do this. Cause it what? Was, what keeps you going through, through that? Is it the, is it the momentum? Is it, I, and, and I said this as a person, like, I, I made a, a much less intense run at the same kind of idea, and I, and, you know, my, my first kid was born and I was like, I, I don't have the bandwidth to do this properly. And so I had to bow out in a way. Also, not sure if I ever really had it. Doesn't matter. But you, 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 you kept at it against odds over a really long amount of time. And it, to me, it sounds exhausting, but you, I mean, is that, the, is that the quote unquote sickness? Is that the, yeah, just compelled to do it? I mean, you could just see, I think that those were also the years, you know, like by the, I got to Marvel much later in my career, you know, um, than, than people now, uh, it's kind of almost backwards. Yeah. They, you know, uh, so by the time I started writing for Marvel, I wrote a what if in 2006 and I wasn't writing regularly till 2008 and nine. Um, by that point I had had, you know, uh, a good solid 11, 12 years of, of writing and drawing and inking and publishing and coloring and animating and doing everything, which was a lot of, a lot of hard work, but ultimately sort of ended up becoming my sort of secret power in that, mm -hmm. um, oh, okay, this can't get done. This broken, this is, this fell apart. I'll, I'll do it. And that, mm -hmm. DIY, that DIY spirit obviously came from growing up on, you know, um, punk in the eighties um, for me, but it was, it was necessary to do those years to get good. And by the time I, I got on the scene, I was already seasoned, which really enabled me to, you know, make hit books at Marvel, uh, with, with seasoned teams that I'd already been working with. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just, I guess the, the road to that was a, 
oh man, I mean, if I'm honest, there was a point where I recognized I can't quit now because I've already put so much time into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the, in 2003, I was like, well, I can't, I can't quit or else the last six years were a total waste of time. I know, uh, but that's, and, and uh, you, obviously you did the right thing. It was a thing for you, but like by all mathematical standards, it's a bonehead choice. Like totally. it's like keep digging my grave, totally. you know, and it, it's, you know, that's the way, that's the way the fictional story goes. You know what you're talking about, but yeah. you know, you know, it's one of those things. Like, I know that people are always like, just believe in yourself. And I was like, well, most people fail when they do that, yeah, because they don't have it. Now you have it. You, you uh, had it. That's that's, that's a thing. Something. But yeah. everybody also thinks they did. Sure. Uh, well, that's I mean, but maybe I didn't until I had gone through. Maybe the secret is perseverance through all of that hardship. Yeah. Until you get good, you know, like. Um, there's still a lot of that early work that, that I think is solid and has cool things in it, but maybe I needed, you know, six, seven years of really getting, you know, paying my dues and getting beaten up to get seasoned enough to do something that was, that was worth people reading it, you know, cause that's the other thing you got to take into consideration is, um, to, you know, m- m- a lot, you can, you can skate by on a Marvel and DC book because whoever is out there and they're into, you know, whatever character they're into the person writing it is secondary the person drawing it is secondary you know sometimes people follow creators and that happens but for the most part you're looking at a fan base that like you know they're there for scarlet witch not you mm-hmm. and, and um i think that uh ultimately those years of of getting beaten up and all the lessons i i it's 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 interesting like so i ran an animation uh you know i started a company funded by Yahoo and Wild Brain um, from 2000 to 2002 I had a little animation studio in San Francisco that I was running on top of doing all the other stuff and um, I basically show ran two 30 minute cartoons that I put all the money into the cartoons so I lived in the studio and I had a little uh, shit bucket place I lived on in Hate Street that I would go to and then I would just sleep at the office and I think I lived on 800 bucks a month all the rest of the money went into the show and I had just enough money to buy, you know, a slice of pizza to escape from New York for two bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the, uh, uh, the, the doing of that ended in the dot com dot com bubble pops. The cartoons are shelved as a tax write off for Yahoo and they're never seen. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was two years of my life that seemed like a total waste of time for all the monumental effort and work that went into it and the pain and struggle. But by the time I got into, for example, uh, doing live action television, um, when I was working on deadly class and things kept falling apart around us that I would then pick up and hold up, it was more and more apparent to the studio partners, network partners and the Russo brothers that I could, I could do the showrun job cause I'd done it those years in animation. Um, and so over that period of time, I ended up, you know, taking on the reins and show running a $55 million television show because of that thing that was such a painful experience that seemed at the Mm -hmm. time to deliver so little. I think all that stuff, if you wait long enough and stay on the path, it, it turns out that stuff all was all was teaching you something you're going to need to know later. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because... (laughs) <laughs> like you referred to punk rock several times because it is a shared interest, but also it like what you're talking about is not the way that anybody approaches punk rock music. It's like you show up, you do this thing once longevity and, and sort of 
it's it's not a feature that people look for. Oh, those first three albums were great, and then after that they did whatever. And, and you know, I know that's not true as you go on, but you know, the sort of the sort of story is like, oh man, that you know, this band was amazing when they started, and then you know they got old and it wasn't the same. And and comics kind of works the other way is that like you have to suck for such a long time before you figure it out. Um, that's just, this, I don't even, there's not a question there. <laughs> thing I was no, I mean, you know, it's, I think uh, there's a number of ways to look at that. There's also the, there's also the, um, the bad religions who have been doing the same thing since 1978, mm-hmm. doing it well. You know, there's a couple albums they fall off on, but for the <laughs> most part, you know, there's not a bad religion album. I can't tell you about two or three great songs that are talking about really relevant and pertinent topics in our society. The, the descendants have been together since the same amount of time and they still go out there mm-hmm. and play with their friends. And um, that to me was the version of it that I understood mm-hmm. was the, um, to, 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 I never needed a big audience. I never, I, needed, I mean, I think that's the difference, I guess, is that like, they just wanted to keep doing the thing and they never right. got, but, then, huge, but, you know, but look at what's come and gone in all those years. Yeah. Look at what's come and gone since Bad Religion started and are still out there doing, since the Descendants are still out there doing, since the adolescents, since so many of these bands are still out there doing it, the punk rock thing that I see now is they, 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 they don't care. They don't. Mm-hmm. You, don't ha- you don't. You didn't like Operation Ivy or Rancid. That's okay. They're still out there playing. I mean, Operation Ivy isn't, but Rancid is. And, and, <laughs> I got um, excited for a second. <laughs> yeah. Well, they did. They did. Jesse Michaels did sing. Yeah. Did, yeah anyway. I saw. Uh, let's not turn this into a punk rock podcast. But the. Uh, <laughs> it's the, it's it's just weird because I'm always the one who brings up bad religion and other people don't want to hear it. And then you've done it first, and people are listening, going, "Go ahead, Josh. Go say something." But go you, ahead, no, you're totally Josh. right. I, I mean, well, you know, what's that, a great song off New America? Honestly. Yeah, it's a tough one. I love my computer. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. No, that I love my computer is is not a good song. It's, I, that's a bad album, right? Um, it's I only don't have two, maybe three. I don't have a, New there's America. A love, there's a love song on there I like. Um, okay. Um, you know, y- y- you're only a picture. Whoa, you know, just a picture. Whoa. I don't remember the name of it. There's, there's a song. I'll give you one song on there. I just I got I, somebody sent me a record of Into the Unknown. Yeah, and I was listening to. It, I was like, it's not that bad. There's hey, stuff here I like. You know it's what? Not, it's not you know bad. what I'll say about it is it's experimental, and they thought punk yeah. should always be changing, but punk had yeah. sort of done what things do, and it became you know kind of. It, worked against them. It had formed a concrete shell around itself, and it's like you'll wear the you do this with your hair, Liberty Spikes, you tear <laughs> the shirt, and and. That was why, you know, the anti-fashion stuff. Anyway. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back around. I, I think one of the things is that I'm, I'm hearing and, and I, is that, I mean, I feel like you, unlike a lot of the creative people I have met in comics, are not self-effacing about your work. You're confident in the work. You are. Now, like, not always. Well, sure. That's, and, and that's fair. But I know, you know, there's people who are very successful who still do it. And, and you give yourself that credit on those things. And maybe that's part of the secret sauce of sort of going through the thing. But that's, Uh, that's it's, and it's not, it's, it was coming to a point where I recognized that it wasn't egotism, you know, um, to have some semblance of self-respect for the amount of effort I've put mm -hmm. in to get good at a thing. Um, and to, you know, to not see that as egotism was hard. And it was also the self-effacing part was because there was a lot of self-doubt and there was mm-hmm. a lot of therapy that I had to do to understand why I was, why I was so, why I had a lot of mean voices pounded into my head when I was a kid. And those mean voices, they stayed with me and kept saying mean shit. 
and I, so I was very self-deprecating. Oh man, I mean, I just I'd say until eight eight years ago, the mm-hmm. self-deprecation was like a big thing, and I realized. I guess there's enough other people. There's enough people in the world that are going to try to tear you down and stop you from accomplishing your dreams and from making your art that you shouldn't join them. Mm. So let's let's. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about is uh, is the craft of the thing, because um, you came up making your own comics, and so it, it wasn't necessarily the that. The market was sort of saying this works or this doesn't for a while. Uh, I assume you didn't have, you know, your editors. What, what, what are the things that sort of you had to work on as you started to learn the form and learn how to create the stuff? The, you know, the the nuts and bolts, the craft, the the storytelling parts of it. I mean, there's so. I mean, it would we'd have to it would take a thousand hours because everything mm-hmm. you do. If you get it right, then you make a note and you kind of remember this is. Are you, a, are you very specific about those things that are happening or are you more like. I have so uh, many lessons. It's all. It's, 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 you, you intuit it at a certain point because of the amount of. It's like that's where, that's where seasoning comes in, right? Mm. It's like I've made a thousand mistakes and I've made a thousand and I've made a thousand, you know, correct decisions. And once you do that, you can go, well, this is what a mistake looks like. A green writer is going to try that first instinct thing and you'll see it. You'll be like, oh, I've gone through that process. You're going to try this. But let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to lose your characters. People aren't going to feel sympathy and you're not going to land your plane. Or you're going to do this and this. You get to the point where you've done so many stories. And that's what comic book writers in terms of fiction writers have over a lot of writers. You put me in a room and I can I can fucking dance like I I can. Mm -hmm. I can really, really generate a lot of, you know, ideas and I can move through them quickly because I've done so much. It's like a newspaper writer or a journalist. You've done so much writing that when you're put into the position of needing to get your book done, the journalists can get their books done. They're not sitting around, you know, with the hyper preciousness. They don't need to. They've sort of beaten out the the dents and they know where to get granular. Um, So... You know, and, 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 and where to stay broad and, and they know the mistakes they've made in the past. And, and I think that, that 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 is the benefit of, you know, it's what I think you said something earlier about, you know, maybe that as comic book, you know, or, or just writers in general get older. It's one of the unique careers in that I am I am better today than I've ever been at the job. Um, and. That can't be said about, ba- you know, Michael Jordan. That can't be said about how many careers at 50, do you start to really like, you know, peak? <laughs> like, I can't, you know, maybe surgeons, but maybe, maybe their dexterity and their, you know, may, I don't know. Certainly their backs must hurt from the, <laughs> yeah. from the, I can think of myself just doing dishes for too long, but um, what, what were you using or thinking about or referencing in terms of the comics form specifically you know, when you were first starting to make them, that were, were sort of the things that you were learning from or aspiring to do, like from a craft standpoint or a form standpoint. Um, say that one more time. What was I, I trying to accomplish? I, I mean, one of the things is like it's taken. It feels I feels like it's taken me a very long time to really. Un, and I didn't. You know, I'm not. It's not full time, but like it's taken me a really long time to understand really good comic book storytelling 
and, and making those techniques, like the, the subtleties where it is, you sure. know, like where were you, where were you picking up your cues from those sort of things? Were they comics? Were they other media? Um, sure. All of it in, in reading and studying and reading books on it and, and listening to other, you know, um, influential and, um, respected creators and directors and animators and having a, a wonderfully very fortunate group of, of people around me. Mm -hmm. I, I am very fortunate in that, you know, I can vet and talk to any, any one of, you know, 50 different writers, directors, actors, artists, animators, video game producers. But could you do that when in, you know, 1998? No. So like no. back then when you were forming your style, you're, you're trying to decide like what makes a comic book page work? What makes a 22 page sure. story work versus like, is that, were you winging it to a certain extent or were you, you know, well, how'd you learn that part of the craft, that specific comic book making, storytelling, characters, all that stuff, you can find yeah. that anywhere. I think it's just doing it and failing. Mm -hmm. Every time you do something, you see, you know, I'm, I have a, I, I have a, um, an unhealthy need for perfection to protect myself, which came about from, um, being put in difficult situations um, and that perfectionism and that quest for it meant that I had a hypercritical voice and that hypercritical voice hated most everything I did for so long. And that's got a pro and a con, you know, one you're mm -hmm. living in a miserable life where the voice in your head is a bully. And um, on the other hand, that bully is constantly pointing out ways to improve. And I did. And so, mm -hmm. In terms of how it's studying other artists, it's studying other writers, it's looking at storyboard books, you know, um, it's, it's, I would raise my hand for any job that came around. And so I did every job. I mean, I can't think of a job in, in, in production and in, in film, television, animation, video games that I haven't done, mm -hmm. uh, except for 3d. I don't really, I did I, I was out by then, but for the rest of it, I've done most all those jobs. And so you would learn a lot of it from saying, no, I can do that uh, because I have to, because I'm, you know, I'm dead broke. I dropped out of college and I'm just sitting in my room looking for something to do to make a, a paycheck. And then in doing those jobs, you know, like I agreed to teach storyboarding when I'd only ever storyboarded one thing. And, uh, so I had to spend six months reading storyboard books and storyboarding and studying, you know, cues and, and direct stage act direct. I mean, I just had to go through top to bottom and, and figure it out so I could actually teach a college level course on it. And I think desperation, I always say when your life is on the line, you play the game a little different. You know, I know a lot of kids along the way who, um, were, they were, you know, they, I didn't have a net underneath me. Uh, I just, if I fell off that rope, I was going to die. And I, I knew a lot of the kids that I was coming up with that they had, their parents built them nets and uh, they all fell, every one of them, because the net's down there. And it gets really hard to hold that, that giant balancing beam and to walk across that tightrope and your legs cramp and your feet cramp and you want to give up. But when there's no net down there, you can't. And I created a life for myself with no net, no help, no support. And if I didn't make this work, uh, uh, I was going to die at the bottom. So, but you didn't take a safe path. I mean, that's what happens a lot of times if you don't have a net. Is you go, well, I, I better do a reliable thing. Maybe it's not exactly what I want, but I, you know. Yeah, I've never. That's yeah. Well, that's interesting. 
Um, I don't know. I, 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 that's an interesting point. I don't know. I, 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 it's funny because I, I'm listening to you and you're, you're saying, you know, like, well, I had to do this and I, I, I took this job or whatever and all these things. And what I think in my head is that I was like, I'm going to get found out and, and I'm not going to be good at it. And, you know, that's what, what my voice is the sure. worst, you know, yeah, like the yeah, worst thing yeah, I, I heard yeah, forever. And there's, there's all sorts of reasons people do that one way or another. Yeah. But, you know, you imposter syndrome is real. Oh, sure. Um, it's really hard to get over. And I felt like I had to bleed so much before I had earned my, you know, I'm a real boy. I, I still have, and I have a giant Pinocchio, a Walt Disney Pinocchio in my <laughs> office and people look at it and they go, what the fuck? And I go, well, for one, it was one of the first movies I ever saw and I really liked it. And, uh, for two, it reminds me that I'm already a real boy. And that's um, <clears throat> a hard one. You know, imposter syndrome uh, can be really hard. And the world... But you not literally many... were, you know, if you're teaching a college-level class on, on storyboarding, you've done it one time. You're kind of an imposter. I mean, like, you fake it till you make sure. it kind of thing. Sure. Well, in all cases, though, at first, right? I mean, right. like, at what point did I become a real storyboard artist? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, when I... I, I I was working at Electronic Arts and I was in my second year of, you know, doing boards for that. I mean, when did I become real? When did the when did I become a real boy? When did Pinocchio become a real boy? It's I interesting because like the history of comics is so much of that. Like if you think about like everything I've read about the golden age, or, you know, the 30s, you know, they were just like, let's make them. We don't know. You know, like the seat of their pants kind of thing. You sure. Know, they're all kids. And yeah. you are. You're, I mean, what you're talking about is the same thing. Just, but that's and I still like that. Yeah, I love I it. I developed for a long time on projects now, and I try to get more done than I used to. And I, I don't, I don't like stress and deadlines, so I try to front load. And like on the sacrificers, we're well into issue six, and we just released issue one. Um, but there is still, there is still an impromptu thing that I really love about comic books and um, the risks. Um, and all of the rest of it take what it's part of the recipe in a weird way. Um, and, but there is this, like, there is this, it's journalism. It's, it's journalism for creativity. It's like, no, the newspaper goes out tomorrow. So mm-hmm. if your shit's not done, you're, you know, you're going to be out of this job <laughs> and you go, and there is no like sitting around and, and there's no, there's no being masturbatory with like, Oh, I got to really get into my, you know, opus when people are like, I've been working on this for 10 years. And I'm like, well mm-hmm. then you should give up that dream. <laughs> I, I do sometimes say that cause I do feel like, Oh, you've been working on one thing for 10 years. Well, you know, mm-hmm. it's probably shitty or you don't have the fire it's, to make this happen. Um, I guarantee you it's too long. Yeah, <laughs> or, there was, or there was, or there's nothing there. You haven't really been working on it. Are you Frank Herbert? Is is this going to be Dune? Um, it's 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 a lot of um, it's a lot of self. It's a, I, I don't want to use the. T- it's not self confidence. It's almost My- like there's a million. I, I I explained it once like this. Creativity is falling down a well, and it's an infinite well of possibilities, right? And you can choose where to get off and what to do and how to build it. It's infinite. There's no, there's no limit to it. And in comic books, there's, there's no limit. There's what you and an artist will agree to make in terms of a writer and artist collaboration. 
but the 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 being forced to choose, which is what kind of what comics does, and going back to what you were saying about the golden age, seat of the pants of it all. Mm-hmm. That being forced to choose, it is liberating, and it does create a self-confidence, and mm-hmm. it forces you to go, 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 go. And until you go, 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 you never get, you don't burn off your baby fat, right? And so I know people that are adults and professionals, and they've been very precious with everything they've done, and they didn't burn off the baby fat. You can see the green sort of like, eh, okay, your choices are still still a little green on this one. Um, so... There's a, that's what I, another reason I love comics. It's it's not. Did you have to impose deadlines right. on yourself before oh, yeah, you had right. them? Sure. Because if there's no deadline, I can't finish the damn thing. I have to self-start. That's why I called my yeah. company Giant Generator. I I am the generator. I am the one who adds the gasoline to the tank. And a lot of the time, having been in the position of everybody I work with, all my partners. I know where they're at, you know, like I know this person is addicted to feeding on validation from Twitter. That's a poisonous (laughs) source. And that poisonous source will ruin your work and it'll ultimately leave you on the side of the road, uh, a molestation victim. I know that this person is addicted to being in the, the penthouse suite at the corporate office where they're being interviewed every five minutes and the helicopters are shining a light on them. But all they're doing is dressing up like, like you know, like a, a corporate piece of IP. You, you, you know where everybody's motives lie. You know what they got addicted to in order to fuel themselves. And you, you, you have to self-start. You have to self-generate. You have to find motive for everybody. And you have to prove that it's true. And in my case, I've proven that my, my books are evergreen, Deadly Class, and Low, and Fear Agent, and all these things, they just keep selling, and I could, I could have retired a, a while ago off of them. So it's financially viable, I can prove that. Um, what, what, what we always say to anybody who's hemming and hawing, you know, some people need to be motivated by like just pragmatic reality, which is nobody in comic books got rich you know, working at Marvel in DC, maybe like three or four people, Jim Lee, you know, I could Mark count him on, I could count him on one hand. Sylvester got rich at Top Cow, you know, um, he probably made a pretty penny during those Claremont era, you know, X-Men books. But most of those guys, most fortunes are built in comic books and in most places by people who build their own things. So mm-hmm. that's a conversation, but the, the self-starting generating, creating your own deadlines, creating your own momentum is 80% of what I of my job and if I'm down and, and if I'm down on myself and if I don't believe in the project or any of these things um, then it's going to have a, a huge effect on that it's very interesting talking to you about this because you to me are, are a bit of a contradiction in that I, when I read your books and, and you could tell me if I'm wrong but I, I see what I think of as a lot of you in there I see a lot of you working through things uh whether they're literal one-to-one or it's the metaphor of the thing you know like there's there's you know you've talked about you know how uh fear agent is you know it's a father story or how um actually so is black science Uh, you know i feel like there's an anxiety to a lot of those characters and a drive but you're not a failure but it feels like there's this like this background of like, well, I can't fail, so I will keep moving forward. But it, it like they, they seem I don't know that maybe that's the generator. That's that fuel. Well, I, th- I think if anything, they probably seem a little haunted. And um, yeah, 
I, I, you know, interestingly for me, the pandemic was a lot of time to also do a lot of work on myself and a lot of intellectualizing of, or to put a magnifying glass on things and to look at that frozen VHS screen of life and to get a better idea of sort of, you know, what, what my fuel sources were, you know, and what was making me keep moving. And um, that wasn't coming out of the, the work prior to that? Oh, that, I mean, no, that, uh, are you saying was it in the work? It was like, you know, yeah. you're not wrong. Fear Agent was a story about perseverance mm-hmm. when, 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 when very, when no one has your back and the world mm-hmm. is crumbling around you and, and, and not letting yourself give up. And by the end, maybe you catch a break. I mean, that's Fear Agent. That's mm-hmm. just me going through. I was, my, my wife was diagnosed with a very, very gnarly autoimmune disease and we were dead broke living in a converted garage full of black mold next to a highway and a, and a, and a, and the end Judah train in San Francisco. It was hopeless, totally hopeless. Mm-hmm. You know, I had $20,000 in credit card debt and, and there I was still working on these comic books. And again, mm-hmm. you know, you play the game different when you put your whole life on that table and um, you do, you play it different. And it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to entertain people. And it's an honor and it's a privilege to create something or to express yourself or to write something and have you, you know, when you, when you guys came up to me and started talking to me about fear agent, very few people did or had read it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's not ego. It's not like it's never, it's, it's, it's not validation or ego. Mm. It's, oh, a human being took the time to read this and maybe identified or connected with it. That's, and, yeah, uh, it's the connection. That to me is all, like, and when I say I see you in those books, you know, and, and, and know you some, that to me is connection. You see, I mean, that, and that's what makes stories work for me as a reader is the thing where I look for, I was like, well, where's, where's the person in here? Yeah. And I think, uh, and, and, you know, this is, you know, I, I, I love those books, you know, I, probably for that reason. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm seeing the human in it. Um, and I, and I, you know, wrapped up in genre and all those kinds sure. of things. Yeah. And twisted in different motives and different backgrounds. And, you know, you, and, and that's all the books, you know, they, yeah. all, they all, they all scratch different itches. And I always like, I don't go into production on them until I have the visual component that makes it something that's exciting for an artist to draw and for people to actually spend the time to, you know, go into production on because these books are being hand handmade. Um, it has to have a personal component, something I want to say about, about myself and my life, where it has to have a universal component, which is what I want to say about the world or some aspect of it. And if you have those three things, then you get to work and you develop something. And what comes out, uh, uh, my, my, the thing I remind myself when I'm working on, like the sacrifices was like a weird swing. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't know if this was what I want to come out with first you know, like I've got a whole new line of books I'm developing. Is this the right one? The first one is going to kind of set the precedent and, and, and is this the right thing? And I just go like, look, I love it. The art is A+. Plus. Um, and what I wrote down on a sticky pad that's sitting next to me is if you, if, you give, if you give it love, it will find friends. And we've given all these things a lot of love and we're trying to create comics that are evergreen, that aren't chasing trends, that are doing what bad religion did where, you know, mm-hmm. if you listen to suffer, the things that Greg was writing about and the things that Brett was writing about on that suffer album, those are all still really pertinent social issues that we're dealing with today. Or they were just prescient sort of like calling out what was coming and how things were going to potentially come, come to a head for, for our civilization. So yeah. that's always motivated me more than anything is to create something that, is evergreen and that the and I just did a signing at Golden Apple first signing I've done in Los Angeles in five years because again I was just you know just just it was all 
the last five years have just been chaos. <laughs> and um, the you know I signed for four and a half hours, and it was books that ran the gamut of my you know twenty something years of doing this stuff. And that was the m- less than like the 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 you know it's not adoration, and it's not it's again it's not ego. It's not like yes, I deserve that. It's like oh my god, I didn't know if I deserved this. But the fact that you took the time to do it is an honor, and I'm really grateful for this. And my dream was always to create a line of books that weren't that were that were owned by the writer and the artist, and that were evergreen in their appeal, and that they kept kind of they kept kind of finding new friends. And um, I, I'm very very lucky to have landed in that position. All right, so I have a couple of sort of. Um I guess craft-based questions that sort of that I've been thinking about, and it's funny because uh, the sacrificers. Um, if 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 I if you told me who who wrote this book, I wouldn't have thought it was a you book, and and but I don't. I, that's not that unusual because I don't think your books are necessarily. They are of a piece in a certain way, but in other ways, they're completely not. I had I was talking to somebody, and they said, well, I like this book that he did, but I didn't really like this one. And what I said, and you can back me up, I was like, I feel like Rick would kind of like that. Like, yeah. oh, this wasn't your thing? Well, this other thing is, and, and I, I do both of those things. Totally. And I, and I well, think that's I mean, really interesting. Yeah, it's all got, again, those three things, right? It's the visual component, a unique visual component that's visually exciting, something personal and, and honest to say about myself and, and, you know, the people around me and something, some observation about the world I live in. Those three things go into each book, but they're always different. And I try not to double up what goes into any one, you know, any book so that the books are, you know, they're... They should be different. They they should. They're, they're different collaborators, you know. Like I'm bouncing off of these brilliant artists, and I'm bouncing off of their thoughts and their dreams, and they're like, you know, Mateo would get very pow- powerfully motivated about like stories. One weird story thing that was weird to me, but powerful to him. And so I would go like, okay, you know, I, it didn't really matter to me. So I'd vet his ideas, and I'd incorporate this and that. So you know, and it, and it took the book in this other direction, or it did this other thing, and then I, I and then I. I, I, I parried and I pivoted and I kind of moved around with it, with, you know, and I found other ways through it. But their involvement kind of was like dye dropped into the mix. And once you put two drops of that color in, changes forever. And so every one of those things is a collaboration. And it's me and those, you know, those, those creators um, pouring ourselves into the thing as much as we can. Now I'm going to assume that you are the you're the seed for most of this sort of initial stories um and then you collaborate with the artist like you just said yeah how how soon do, do does an artist usually get involved with what you're doing and are you do you i mean do you have something you sometimes have people or a style in mind for a kind of story uh, every single project would have a different origin story Every single project would have a different origin story. It'd have a different production method. It would have a different... You have to take into consideration every single artist. You know, comic book artists aren't people who mostly have had jobs in the real world or know how to operate <laughs> in an office space or function as a, as a cog in a machine. They're very sort of independently minded people who have their own way of doing things and their own motives, like I said everybody's finding their motives, finding what gets pages out of somebody. And that doesn't, I don't mean to cajole or try to like manipulate. I mean, like I'm a producer. I have to produce. I mean, it makes sense you say that because I've, 
never heard anybody else put it that way, but clearly to get comics made, you have to be thinking that way. You have to, because they're human beings, and if their motive is money, easy. I got money. Here's money. <laughs> like, no problem. <laughs> you get an artist who's like some, you know, somebody my age who's made money, and they're just a high-end genius, and they like to go crazy and get really granular on panels and make everything beautiful. Then I go, is that what you want to do? You want to do four issues a year? All right. Then we'll just plan this to be, you know, I'll, I'll base a schedule on that. Like, look how long it took Jerome and I to do Seven to Eternity. Um, look at the commitment that it took for him to commit that, you know, and then, you know, all the all the complaints along the way. It's not coming out fast enough. We're like, all right, then stop reading it. I, I don't care anymore. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. To me. Like, like, read it or don't. I don't know. It's not like my job. I'm just doing the best I can here with a guy who is making the best pages that, you know, he can make that are phenomenal. And now that it's all finished. It's outselling everything. It's crazy. Like, you know, people, wow. th- those hardcovers are gangbusters and they're gangbusters all over Europe. We've got four, <laughs> four international markets that, that they're just blowing truckloads of seven to eternity out. And we'll keep making money on it forever because it's so good and so much love went into it and it took so long. And, you know, sorry, it didn't <laughs> ship every 30 days. But the motive on, on that was Jerome just wanted to make the best thing of his career and he wanted to take his time to do it. So we figured out a way to do it. So, yeah, each artist, part of it is it, part of the production is is figuring out what motivates them and where they're every, and everyone's is different. So all of the production ends up being different. And that can be that. But I'm addicted to that. That's the other thing I couldn't stop doing. When I stopped doing it, I woke up for three months and there was no art in my inbox. And I was like, fuck, what's up? I fucking hate this. Like, I'm used to waking up to 20 emails. Like, here's five new pages. Here's a cover. Here's a layout. What do you think about this? And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's a very concrete way of describing that feeling, I think. Because, I mean, it's not, I am not shining your shoes here in any way. But you have, through your career, worked with... I mean, the best artists and I, and everybody says, you know, oh, the guy I'm working is the best. But I mean, the, your collaborators have been a fucking murderer's row and you did not have money to pay them up front. So you did a thing, you know, for uh, the whole time, I mean. No, so, no. I mean, but it's what do you what do you I know like there's a billion answers. Like, what are you looking for in an artist? Like, what are you seeing in an artist? But is there some sort of spark that you could define in any way that you are? seeing in different people or you find like pick out like a thing that they do like holy shit look at the action and movement on mateo's pages sure look at i, I wouldn't even be able to describe jerome's the panel composition of what wes craig does and the way right. he, the, the, the the choices he makes and how to tell the story the lavish insane world building and how jerome will pour his life's energy into a background panel that only an other artist is going to notice or you know what Greg Tokini does with some of the most amazing science fiction city designs that are unlike anything else or taking somebody like Ben Gall who is you know usually doing science fiction or crime and doing a, a you know a con a story about criminals and truckers you know <laughs> That's really just me processing my dad dying. <laughs> that it takes place in the American Southwest where he's never been. Um, you know, uh, what you well, end up interesting with, is that like a lot of the folks that you work with before you did them, they weren't, they're not necessarily huge names. They're not household names in comics. Maybe they're artists, artists or something like that. But meaning that there's probably not a heck of a lot 
of work to go on. This is not a huge body of work with a lot of these folks. So well, we grow together. Yeah, you know, I have. I, I I think that one thing that I have is vision, and I can see. I can see. Like for me, I could see if Giant Generator. I was never going to do a big like announcement. I was never going to say we're the next big thing in comics. One of another one of these puppy mills that are popping up every six weeks now. It was just going to be. <laughs> And, you know, I'm only now just starting to publish other people's work, people that I really believe in, as well as co-writing things like the Andy Samberg, Joe Troman, and I got some other things I'm co-writing because it's fun to work with people. And Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time alone in the pandemic and I like it. But um, it was always just seeing a long game and having a vision. And I can do that with artists as well, where I can get an eye on. I never wanted to go hat in hand and you know kneel before the the popular artist of the day and say please please well <laughs> it's the a way lot that i fun. see it it's a lot more that- fun to find people that you're coming up with you know or that are at your same level in terms of like not being maybe you know no notoriety or you know to find people that are deserving of of it to see what they could be to see where their strengths are which as an artist i'm really good at to see what they've not been used as and to help develop that, you know, I think I've probably, um, I've launched a lot of careers doing that and in, do, in launching their careers, I've also gotten to make beautiful art with them, which, you know, twofer. I mean, well, the way that I, the way that I see it, the way that I, I take it is that um, it's, it's, a, it's a great deal of respect to the art form is that there's, you know, there's a, you're not in this position anymore, but you were where, you know, some people, they want to, they want to make a comic book. If you're a writer and you don't draw a particular, you know, I I know you do, but you kind of take, a lot of people have to take what they can get to get a thing done. And you haven't let that happen. I mean, honestly, again, like I'm not shining your shoes, but as a person who has studied comic book art and thought about it and talked about it for over 20 years, you know, there's something special like genuinely special about the artists that you collaborate with every time. And I, and I always think like every, every up and coming creator should take extreme notice of that. And there's, there's people who do There's people who do it. I think, I think Tom King is another guy who like, you know, for whatever reason, one or another, he always makes sure that he's working with people who are great and also suit what he's writing really well. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a, I don't know that it's an unheralded skill, but I don't think anybody, everybody has the possibility or the luxury to do it. Um, not it's, a question. <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, thank you. I mean, uh, thank you for, to the art from the artists. I mean, sure. It's, it's, um, you know, I, I've never, I've got a, you know, I, I'm, I'm an art director. Uh, I'm a showrunner. I'm a producer. I do all those jobs as well. I have, you know, I've done a lot of jobs and, in the time I've done them, I've, you know, in the time I've taught art, in the time I've been a professional artist, I know a lot about art. And so uh, I think that that has really benefited me in my writing career. Um, most people don't know about my art background, and I like to, I find fine with that. I just go, yes, I am very lucky and <laughs> find these really genius artists. And I am, and I do. Um, and I've been very fortunate in that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm always scouring the art world for who's the right person and who's next and, and who do I see really turning a corner and doing some interesting stuff. And sometimes I'm lucky enough to convince them to work with me before they become the biggest names in, in the industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I get to make cool stuff. Um, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start thinking about wrapping this up for your sake and mine, although we could obviously go on for a while. But do you ever get the itch to draw pages anymore? I've been drawing while we're talking. I doodle. Right. Um, but like you think, oh, this is a story I want to draw or you, you want to make sequential art. Um, the, I worked too intensely and too hard for too many years and got too little out of it. And it ruined my love. And I was also surrounded by people who were naturally better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was starting to get pretty good. And mm-hmm. my pencils were getting pretty good. But I was surrounded by, you know, Jerome Pena and Tony Moore. I mean, I, you know, you go through the list of all these guys. And it just, you know, I remember Eric Canetti starting to work. It just, you just go like, oh, okay, you know. Um, and then it really was liberating in that I recognized that the reason I started drawing as a kid was to tell stories. And that what I, what mm. I was always doing was writing and telling stories. And I learned to draw because I did a kid's book in second grade and everybody get, got a lot of attention, right? Sure. So I kept drawing those stories. And um, so now I doodle and draw for pure pleasure. And I, and I, and I, and I uh, it, it was a road for me to realize, oh, I was, I, I was a writer. I mean, I was filling two journals up every year of story ideas and things I never did. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was still like Deadly Class came out of a journal from <clears throat> 1996, I think. Um, where I, I cooked that up. I mean, uh, I was clearly just a guy with a lot of ideas and I wanted to say things and, and talk to people about ideas and tell stories. And um, So now I don't have to monetize art and I don't have it connected with my, my value and my ego and any of that stuff. I, I can enjoy it again, but it took a long time. Mm-hmm. But so, you, you, I mean, you still, you still sort of doodle and stuff, but just when you want to for your own... That's right, yeah. Do you, does he, do you use it... Um, not do you, but like, do you do any like pre-production work when you're sort of putting together comics or things sure. like that? Are you doing, you're doing some designs and sort of, yeah, I wouldn't specifically go through any of them, but there's a lot of these things that I have, uh, you know, I don't, and in a lot of cases, the artist may not even remember. <laughs> there's a mm-hmm. lot of cases where I have, I have a drawing of the first thing I showed them of what the characters should look like. And then they go off and do it. But at that point they make it their own and it should be their design. And I don't need credit for that. So, um, you know, I definitely have, I, 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 I am, I am, I have learned this at, at the age of 50 and, and having spent 30 years doing this as much as I've done it, I'm very good at development. And so I, I, I put everybody through the ringer on development and I make sure that, you know, we print no comic before it's time. Like mm-hmm. we do the, we do the work, we, we get the sheets, the model sheets done right. We, we do it correctly and everybody works really hard. And a lot of the time that can feel like it's a waste of time and not everybody does this and why are we doing this? I always think that the books have a unique visual stamp and come out better because of, because of that stuff. And, and again, that's a, a benefit of all the years and training that I put in that helped me do what I do now. That at the time, you know, when I was strictly focusing on art and just would write things for fun and... Um, never imagined in, in a million years that I could make that as a career. Um, the art, the art, the love of it did get a little mm. bit, a little bit stabbed to death, I think. <laughs> From, yeah, just that aspect. Yeah. 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 In the, in, in the, in the, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm, this is my value. Um, 
but it's you know I, I found a way to you find a way through through the path to make use of all of those all of those hard years and all those stumbles and all those lessons and then it feels like it was worth something and it feels good I'm gonna wrap up but here here, here let's see if we can do a summation here what is something that you really love now about the comic art form that you that you maybe didn't earlier in your career like the thing the 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 process the art form itself like something that comics does or does that make sense yeah sure um top is i've already said it and i'll say it i'll just say it again really quickly is i think that we have a unique situation where as as our attention spans have been shaved down to nubs and our society has grown cruel and as everyone has become isolated and we no longer have as many social functions and we do not congregate and enjoy each other's company, I do think that there is something really unique and beautiful about what you were talking about as well, which is the community in comic books. Um, you know, that can be a double-edged sword. You get too familiar with people. Um <laughs> The, the, the sort of what sociologists say is the counter the counter status instinct to kill people who are successful can kick in and you'll deal with a lot of people who just can't can't stand anybody being successful and have to murder them but for the most part <clears throat> we're all we're all cut from a similar cloth um, so the community is really in, that's not the art form uh, right yeah no I was gonna I was gonna push you on that. <laughs> that 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 side of it is 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 unique and powerful in terms of the art form. Again, it's really simple, and it always comes back to the same thing. There is nothing else you can do with the same purity of intention. Um, there's no other art form that I can create a story with one other person, and we can go off and make a, a an epic that is illustrated and that has the ability to transport people to whatever world we saw in our head and to tell that story exactly how we want with no compromises, with no corporate oversight, with no um, morality police telling us that this is not okay. You can do whatever the fuck you want. And you know what? When you do, and you give it love, it finds friends. Mm -hmm. Well, didn't you just put a button on this, didn't you? Well, I'm trying to be professional for you. (laughs) You can't help it. You're just a natural storyteller. Turns out that I am not a natural storyteller in that sense, but I'm really fucking good at this, Rick. You are good at this. Very it's good at this. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys, and, and um, <laughs> whichever one of you I, I, I roll the dice with, I don't like you said. I don't think you and I have done this, and this is uh, yeah. this is the first uh, podcast or interview I've done in I don't know three years. No so. kidding. <clears throat> yeah, I just sort of retreated from everything and just yeah. I've I've worn your little voice out. You're <laughs> used to it. Actually, you um, talked all day, I guess. I did. I had a good day. I had a lot of fun Zoom talks today. That's awesome. <clears throat> hey, uh, I, I honestly could go on longer, and, and uh, we should do this again before another 10 years passes. Uh, I'll, I'll reach out sometime when you got a book, but uh, I want to talk about the books at some point. We barely talked about the books, Rick. Yeah, that's true. I, but, you know... <laughs> I love the conversation. I cough in everyone's ear. There is something I think that... Um, I think motive and craft and, and the human side of things is probably more interesting than... Mm. Know, trying to shill and yeah, I just want to find that in the books though. I don't I don't I don't want you to sell books. I want to understand. I want to know 
I want to talk about the scumbag in detail. Oh, uh, that uh, it got me through the pandemic. Ernie Ray Clementine. Uh-huh. Ending that was like I kept Eric Stevenson thought he's like I thought this was four issues. Like, <laughs> yeah, I had a bunch of more ideas that really made me happy. And he yeah. goes, uh. <laughs> and then, but the book. God damn, that thing was a juggernaut. Everybody wanted it. Nobody yeah. online wanted it. And then, you know, people were like, well, what is this? I'm like, oh, it's too risky for you. You should be very careful. <laughs> it's hot. And it's like not, it's not. But everybody became so fucking terrified of the internet that it was just like you couldn't make any risky art. So at the slightest risk, everybody was like, well, what is this? But then when the sales came back, it was such a validation of like, everybody wants to read about a scumbag. And Ernie Ray Clementine got me through the pandemic. Every time everything got horrible and the fucking fascists are storming the Capitol and the sky's on fire and the death tolls kept coming in, <laughs> all, the, all that horror, I would just go, okay, how is Ernie, Ernie going to tra- transport me out of this nightmare? And he always did. see that. I would I would be happy to do a special and talk about Ernie Ray Clementine. All right. We'll we'll set that up at some point. Love it. Uh, go back to your life. You you're setting limits. You've given me more than enough of your time. And uh, well, it was uh, a, it was a, it was a, an effortless conversation. It was a lot of fun, and it was uh, it was great getting to getting to catch up with you, Josh. All right. Thank you. And there you have it, Rick Remender, uh, once again completing his uh, his seventh long-form discussion uh, for for us, which uh, we always appreciate. I could have gone on for a while. I bet he could have gone on for a long while, but but we can't... We have to respect the time of our people on here. That's how it works. If you want to know more about Rick, I mean, the best thing you do is probably just go out and pick up some of those comic books. There are many, many, many of them. You can find out what those are at his website, giantgenerator.com. And I think... I think that'll do for now. Thank you so much for listening. You can go to ifanboy.com to find more of our episodes. You can go to patreon.com slash ifanboy if you'd like to support this. This show exists again. It has been risen again because of ifanboy patrons. And uh, I thank everybody for listening and contributing. uh, And I, I hope you enjoy it all. Thanks. 